I'd like to shout out the biggest villain I know. It's the person that talks during the movie. Oh, that Makes, guy sucks. I hate that guy. And guess what? It's often me. Oh, anyway, no. And you know what? If I could talk to that guy, I'd say, how do you sleep at night? That's what I would say to this scourge of a person. <laughs> but I know what the answer already. I know the answer. Mattress Firm. Mattress mm. Firm has quality mattresses at every price for your best rest. Yes, even those who don't deserve to rest, like that person who talks during the movie, even they can get the bed that will make it happen from Mattress Firm. See a lower price at another retailer? Mattress Firm will match it up to 120 nights with their low price guarantee. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale and sleep at night, even if you're a bad person. Restrictions apply. See mattressfirm.com or stores for details. Sona, how's your sock drawer looking? It's messy. There's a lot of single socks. Yep. I think it's time for a little spring cleaning. Oh. <laughs> Check out Bombas. Once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. I should know. I like my Bombas. Their spring collection has new garden party socks that bring the party to your feet. My feet have never been to a party. <laughs> They've so got sad. stripes and florals and new vintagey colored rib socks. You know, when I'm wearing Bombas, I feel like my feet are being caressed. Oh, okay. And cared for in a way they never have been in my life. Hmm. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Conan and use code Conan at checkout. <laughs> Hi, my name is Brian Cranston. And I feel very lucky to be happily paid about being Conan O'Brien's friend. <laughs> <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are going to be friends. Hey there, and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Whether you're a regular listener or this is your first time, we welcome you to our humble abode. We hope you enjoy it here. We're having a good time. I got my pal Sonam Obsession with me. Hi. My assistant in real life for... 10 years plus, yes? Uh, it. You know what? It just became 12 years in the beginning of January. Wait, from 10 to 12? I know. He's always saying 10, but it's 12 now. Well, but I get it gets huh? confusing because you've really worked for me for like two years. Okay. <laughs> if you added up all the time you've actually done work, it's like two years and that's weekends and uh, lots of breaks. So yeah. I'm not going to uh, argue with that. That math checks out. <laughs> you will. You'll that's, fess up to that. That's 12, pretty. Sona, we've been together 12 years and I never know. a crossword. Oh, <laughs> never a problem. Smooth sailing all the way. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Matt Gorley here as well. Matt, you and I have not known each other as long. I, I was introduced to you when we started this podcast. That was two years ago, but it just became four as we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> what were your first impressions, uh, Matt? You had never met me before. Uh, and as a true egotistical comedian, I'm going to ask you, what did you think of me? Oh my God. I remember how conversational Sono was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Interesting. Hey, Matt, tell me what you thought about me. Tell me what your impression was about me. Well, who asked that question? Uh, no, but I asked that question thing. because because I'm going to tell you something. I didn't choose Matt Gorley. Uh, Adam Sachs, the genius behind uh, many of our schemes these days, said, Conan, you should do a podcast. And he said, uh, and I want you to come into this room and meet the person who's going to be uh, your, uh, your, you know, producer. And here he is, Matt Gorley. So... I remembered after meeting Matt, well, let's see the other candidates. And then I was told <laughs> oh, there are no other candidates. I did, yes, I did. I, they just said it's Matt. By the way, this is the, oh, Adam, jump in here. Adam, you're there. Don't act like you're not there. Did you, it's not like you gave me a choice. You said, here's who's doing it. It's Matt Gorley. I think I said, if you don't, if you really object, if you really, really, really dislike him, then we can, we can look for other options. But I will say in all sincerity. You said, 
you said really, really, really dislike him, and I only really, really. <laughs> yeah, so that's why we kept him. <laughs> you know, it was kind of similar on my end because I was never told like this is going to be a job for you. It was like I was brought in as a consultant, and it was kind of revealed to me along the way. And then the, we did that first pilot. And it was then it was just kind of set in stone. But I remember being kind of nervous because I was a big fan of yours, Conan. And so it was. I it was, was a you big were. fan. Yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> now that's I what happened. Better. That's what happens to people. <laughs> so was I, Matt. Never when I first yeah, started. Never meet your heroes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. No, I. Uh, no, we we hit it off right away, Matt. Yeah. And then I've I've I we've since found out that we share insane interests, mostly in. Uh, uh, you know, weird history trivia from the 20th century involving yeah. presidents that people don't think about that much. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it all worked out. Yeah. And, yeah. and I remember learning that Sona and I lived a town next to each other. We grew up in a neighboring towns. Yeah. That's why we're so chill. Yeah. And I think we bring that chill element and then Conan, you are whatever you are, you are you. Well, don't you think now to be you may have hit upon something there, Sona, which is both of you guys come from California, right? Yes. Yeah. I've always thought, and I, and I grew up in Boston, and uh, winter there lasts like eleven months, and also I grew up in the Boston of the late sixties and seventies, which is a very different. Now you go to to Boston, and there's a croissant shop inside every croissant shop. <laughs> I grew up in a very, go watch a movie called The Friends of Eddie Coyle, uh, which is a, an old, a movie that, that shows you what Boston really used to look like. Every car was made of rust. The snow was really dirty. Everyone was talking like they had a cod in their mouth. Uh, uh, and it was just a very different, there was, I think we had three restaurants in all of Boston and um, two of them were McDonald's. And so it was a different time back then. And then it all got whitewashed and everyone thought it's Cheers and it's the Cheers bar and let's go see Norm. And that's all bullshit. I grew up in, in the rough and tumble Boston well, Brookline, nice <laughs> suburb, but still, let's not quib- let's not quibble. I, I've been to your neighborhood; it's very nice. Please, it's nice now. You know why it's nice now? Because I grew up there, and they prettied it up after because Conan lived there. What? Uh, yes, they went back, and they realized, well, there's going to be pilgrimages now. So, oh my, my neighbor, JFK my neighborhood- is from your neighborhood. Yeah, you think said- you're the reason for the pilgrimage? Because. JFK wasn't enough, okay? <laughs> they needed one other person to push it over the top. And so it was Conan O'Brien. It was used to be JFK from Brookline, Massachusetts. Uh, and they were like, that's pretty, that's almost, almost to the level of let's clean up this town. <laughs> then Conan O'Brien, 1993, he takes over late night. Kaboom. <laughs> then they realize we finally have enough of a justification. And so uh, they go back and they pretty up the whole town of Brookline. It was squalid when I was growing up there. <laughs> At least you got JFK from your neighborhood. Nixon's from my neighborhood. Oh. I know. Remember remember when my neighborhood famously debated your neighborhood? <laughs> That's right. And my neighborhood sweated all your, down its own Yeah, streets. and your neighborhood didn't shave and my neighborhood did. Your neighborhood wore makeup. <laughs> people <laughs> who listened- people that listened on radio. Yeah, on the radio. People that listened on the radio thought your neighborhood did better, but people that watched on TV thought my neighborhood did better. Yes, it's two oh. freaks and nerds talking things yeah. through. Hey, you but know, anyway. Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas is from my neighborhood. So oh. she didn't debate anyone. Uh, she sang the national anthem to great success. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, was she one of those people that didn't that sang? Oh, she interpreted yeah. the national anthem. Yeah, it that's, was that's rough. being kind. Yeah. Well, I like Fergie. Oh. And I like Nixon. Good. Yeah, well, there and you go. And I like JFK. Great. We got off track. The point I was <laughs> trying to make is that I've always believed that I would be a different person if, like a young Superman, if Boston was sort of starting to, about to blow up because it was going to get hit by a meteor and my parents quickly selected one child out of six and it was me. Sorry, brothers and sisters, but they were like, we can only save one. It must be young Conan, you know, like Kal-El, Jor-El. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they put me in a little spaceship and shot me to Los Angeles, and I grew up in this incredible climate. I think I'd be a different person. I really do. Maybe. I don't think I'd be as uptight. I think I'd have a V-shaped torso. Mm. I think I would have I would have been dating, casually dating people when I was 14. Uh, <laughs> I'd, have been, I'd have been surfing, and I'd have a serious girlfriend at a very young age. 
All the stuff that didn't happen for me. That didn't happen to us, I don't think. Sona, did you? I never had a V-shaped torso. I casually dated at 14. Sona has a V-shaped torso. I have a V-shaped torso. No, but you know what? When When I lived by the beach, that's when I was like, this is LA yeah, living. Me too. That's yeah. yeah. That's how. Yeah. That's when you really feel it. That. Yeah. But yeah, I think the SoCal life though just makes you kind of chill, right? Is yeah, it that's the right. sunshine? Yeah. I think oh, so. I can't hear you through all the chill right now. Yeah, so. Chill. But see, I don't have that. And even though I live in Los Angeles now, it's too late. I spent way too much time oh, on yeah. the East yeah. Coast, and yeah. it's in me, and I'm. Uh, you know, constantly, uh, you know, yelling at birds in the backyard, uh, <laughs> getting into arguments with them, um, accusing them of being Yankee fans. Uh, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's a shit show for me all the time because I carry that shit show within me. And then whenever I go home, I immediately, when I go home to Boston to see my folks, I immediately go, oh yeah, I get it. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, can I say that I've known you since you moved here and you've, you've definitely been more mellow? Oh, you chilled. You did chill a little bit, Conan. I, I, I've you noticed thawed. a difference. But I don't know if that's just age. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> let me explain something <clears throat> to my listeners, and this has me- medically been proven. But as a man ages, his testosterone level starts to oh, plummet. Okay. Mm. All right. Okay. And well, so, it's time to start. Who's the, show. the guest? Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Who's the shockingly, guest today? shockingly low testosterone levels oh, now? Sure. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Right. Who's well, the guest? Time. We're running out of intro time. And the I guest think is... We're running out of tape. We're actually using tape this time. <laughs> I think medically I'm a female fetus right um. now. <laughs> I think. And so maybe that's why I've calmed down. Oh, yeah, I should probably get on yeah. to the guest. We yeah, can't... Yeah, yeah. You know, I say this a lot. I do this... You know, thing like, we can't waste any time. We've got a great guest. And it sounds, and, and look, sometimes I say it when we don't have a great guest, you know? Um, I'll say, like, we got to get going. We got Stab Bickley on the show. And uh, he, he's from that new program, Let's Do the Do. And uh, <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah. Stab Bickley, you got to hear this. But uh, I think we have today uh, one of the. Easily, uh, one of the finest actors of our time. Just uh, brilliant. I think he uh, is a genius. He's an Emmy and Tony award-winning actor who played Walter White on the hit AMC series Breaking Bad. Now you can see him in the Showtime series Your Honor, which I've been watching, and it's fantastic. I'm thrilled he's with us today. Brian Cranston, welcome. I am delighted uh, that you're on the podcast uh, because you're one of my favorite people, one of my favorite uh, actors of all time. And also, I've had the pleasure of interviewing you uh, a bunch of times and then getting to know you a little bit, seeing you at different events. And you're always the consummate gentleman. And I salute you. You know, you literally say that to every guest you have on your show. (laughs) I know I'm reading it right now off the, I, you know what I have? I have it written on my hand yeah. and uh, I say it, I say it to uh, the worst people in the world. I've said it to many of the worst, most horrible people in the world, uh, convicted mass murderers. Yes. And before I get started, I'm like, before we get started and we, we go over your crime spree, I just want to say you're one of my favorite people. <laughs> of all the murderers. Of all the murderers. You're the best. <laughs> you're my favorite. Thank you, Ted uh, Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> now, listen, yeah. I'm proud of that interview. Thanks. We had a great time. Yes. We played a drinking game and uh, you should check it out. Um, Um, So much to talk about. I want to talk about your new show, which I am hooked on. I really love it. I love your honor. But there is so much to discuss. And what I like to do is always make it about me in Mm -hmm. some way. Uh, And I think that's appropriate. I I think we are. It's very much appropriate, yes. We're both actors, I believe, of the same caliber. Uh, (laughs) Oh, boy. Take it easy, Sona. (laughs) I've never seen someone actually just walk out on a podcast. (laughs) No, you did. Uh, I have had the opportunity to meet all kinds of uh, distinguished uh, people. And then I had this moment where I totally sold you out. I name-checked you in a way that I should be ashamed of, which is uh, I I bumped into you somewhere and you were wearing this Heisenberg tie clip. 
Oh yeah. And and it's absolutely one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. And I just complimented you on this very cool Heisenberg tie clip and you took it off and you gave it to me. Now, of course, I'm such a Breaking Bad fan, such a fan of yours, that I proceed to wear that tie clip around. Now you'd think being in this business, I'd be kind of cool about it. But no, the first person who bumped into me and said, oh, that's so cool. You got a Heisenberg tie clip. Where'd you get that? And I said, oh, a friend gave it to me. And they said, who's that? And I said, oh, Brian Cranston. <laughs> and in that moment, like in an old cartoon, my head turned into a horse's ass. <laughs> yeah. And I don't do things like that, but I was so giddy. And I, I was such a dick in that moment. And I think I've done that many times and sometimes to the same person over and over again. <laughs> my tie pin? Yes, I know. Yes, yes. Brian Cranston gave it to me. I, uh, I'm glad to hear that. And also... Also, the people who gave me that tie clip will be glad to hear that because it's actually a GPS tracker. And oh, so no! We've been uh, <laughs> marking exactly where you've been over the last couple of years. Uh, <laughs> the IRS is very concerned. And the FBI has got a huge file on you now. Now, why does the IRS care about what I do at a strip club? Uh, yeah. You, you can't deduct the shrimp. <laughs> that was a you should have just let that go. Uh, it's a second job. I'm a dancer. I'm the I'm the lowest paid stripper, male stripper in the history of the world. Come see Consumption Boy. Uh, Brian, uh, so much to talk about. First of all, I'm, I was uh, delighted to, there were things I've, in preparation for this interview that I read, read up about that I, I didn't know. I thought I knew a lot about you. And then I find out there's this whole period of your youth where you're a badass on a motorcycle riding across America when you're in your early 20s. And uh, what what brought that about? And who is that guy still in you? Are you still that guy? Yeah, you don't want to know him. <laughs> <laughs> you're like Clint Eastwood in The Unforgiven. I'm not like that anymore. Not me. Uh, <laughs> back when, it's, it's, I'll try to make this short. There was a lot of confusion in my childhood, a lot of uh, discontent. Mm -hmm. uh, my family... Uh, unit exploded when I was 11 yeah. and split up and I lived with my grandparents for a while and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I thought I would become a cop because I became a police explorer in high school and I was pretty mm -hmm. good at it mm -hmm. and so oh that seems like a pragmatic thing to do so I, I'll, I'll do that and then in college I, I took an elective course in acting I got to kiss this really pretty girl in a scene in the, the first day in class and I thought oh my God, this is the greatest thing in the world. And then I, I thought, I, I, I thought this, this girl also really likes me. So this is the easiest date I'm ever going to have. And so I asked her out and she said, no, I have a boyfriend. And then I realized, mm. oh, she was just acting. I swear to you, I thought she really liked me. My head is exploding now. And right. so at the end of two years, it was like, either I'm transferring to a university to continue police science courses, or I run away. And I ran away. Basically, wow. hopping on a motorcycle and leaving the state for two years was running away. And in retrospect, I find that I needed to go get lost so that someday I could be found. Mm -hmm. Instead of locking myself into a position where I was just going to take the easy road and follow suit of what I was training for. And, but I realized I, I wasn't going to make the, the best policeman that I could have. And mm -hmm. it really opened my eyes. So it was, it was to grow up. It was to mature and find some adventure and figure out what I really wanted to do. There's no way probably, I'm, I can't prove this, but I don't think you could be possibly doing the kind of work at the level that you're doing it if you hadn't thrown yourself out there for a while. That's for sure. Um, I always tell my daughter, too, that whenever something bad happens, it's going to make a great story. If everything in your life uh, f was terrific and beautiful and no hurdles to leap over and no stumbling, and where, where are the lessons you're going to get from that? And by the way, where are the stories? Every single story worth, it mer worth its merit comes from a, a place of failure. Somewhere along the line, the hero stumbles. 
and fails and has to get back up and achieve or overcome a fear or an inadequacy or something. That's Those are the best stories we want to watch. And if you have a collection of those in your real life, you're actually lucky for it. Remember that uh, that line in a Billy Joel uh, song, you have no scars in your face, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you cannot handle pressure. Right. You know, it's like you, you need some some life, some lines on your face, some scars to, to know how to behave and how lucky you are right now. There's a famous story about Humphrey Bogart, uh, who later in his career, you know, around the time of Citizen Kane, he would tell the makeup people, don't make me look too good. Let people see what I really look like because I've earned that face. And that's the face of an actor who's been places and done things. Yeah. That's, that's I've got news for you, though. He wasn't in Citizen Kane. I'm sorry. I'm, did I say Citizen Kane? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Kane mutiny. I'm okay. sorry. Kane. Well, I'll live, hold on. You know what I find is best? Rather than admit I made a mistake, I'm going to cover it by saying, Late in life, uh, Humphrey Bogart was deluded. Yeah. He, went through a, he went through a period of delusion where he thought that he uh, was Orson Welles and was in Citizen Kane. <laughs> well, thanks for catching that. I meant Kane mutiny. Yeah, I didn't want to have you get all those emails like, hey, dummy. <laughs> Asshole. Jerk. Well, then they'd be mad at they'd be mad at you too for not correcting me. I can't believe Cranston didn't catch it. <laughs> Walter White would have caught that. He caught it. Um, yeah. When you were driving around a motorcycle, is this true that you claim this is that you once you believe you saw Charles Manson? Uh, it's not. It's not a belief. I did, um, and it wasn't the time I was on a motorcycle. I, this was 1967, 60, somewhere mm-hmm. in 67, I think. And I was about 10 years old, and we used to go horseback riding because I was born and raised in Southern California in the valley mm-hmm. in Canoga Park, and we used to go horseback riding at the Spawn Ranch in the oh Santa God. Susana Pass, where Charles Manson. The, uh, held his uh, little <laughs> lair. And, yeah. uh, it was his bat cave. It was his bat cave. Yeah. So my my <laughs> cousin and I were dropped off by my mom to go horseback riding one time. And uh, she was a, a year older than me. So she was t- 11 or so. We're getting our, we're signing up for our horses and someone charged into the room and said, Charlie's on the hill. Charlie's on the hill. And he said, go on, go on. I'll take care of this. And, and there was an older guy taking care of, but it, it, it was such a startling moment that that's why we remembered it. It was like, oh God. And the old guy got our horses and we looked out and we see this six or seven people jumping on, a, on horses and riding off. And I will tell you, when I saw uh, the movie Once Upon a Time, Once upon in, Hollywood. A time in Hollywood, starring, starring, starring Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart. Bogart. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, sorry. Beat me to sorry. It. Uh, yeah. Boy, he got it right. He got yeah. it right. It he, re- so he recreates Spawn Ranch, and there's that fantastic uh, whole sequence that takes place at Spawn Ranch, and it's chilling. Yes. And so what I witnessed in real life when I was 10 to see those people jump on horseback and ride away was the same thing I saw in the movie. So back to the story. My cousin and I get our little horses ready for the glue factory and we come plump, plump, plump. (laughs) Then we go down the, the pathway and about 15 minutes into our little walk out, we see this trail of horses coming back. Now, the trail itself is probably eight feet wide. So you're actually past each other very close. And there were six to eight uh, people on horseback. And we noticed right in the middle, there was one guy sitting on a horse who was not holding his own reins, but the guy in front of him was holding his horse's reins. And we saw him, this guy, short guy, black shoulder length hair, black eyes, Mm. and drugged out of his mind, undulating to the movement of his horse, Go ah, just and my cousin and I are passing, stealing looks over there as we're passing him, and we you couldn't take your eyes off him, and they yeah. pass, and she turns around because she was in the front, and she goes, "That must be Charlie." And I go, "Yeah, yeah, weird." Then two years later, what happens happens the, the all the murders, and they finally catch up to him. They put his face on there here. Yeah, the guy at Spawn Ranch, and it's, and I'm freaking out. And my cousin calls me, and she goes, "Did you did you what the, the guy that?" I said, "Yep, that's him." 
we saw his face. Like, here's the face of Charles Manson. Of course, we, we only knew him as Charlie. And, sure. uh, and that was my brush with Charles Manson. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and as I said, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing this all into the general category of uh, you experienced. I mean, that's just one of many experiences. You have that experience, but you're also out on the road. You're on a motorcycle. You're, you're, you're going through uh, what I imagine is a lot of familial pain. You're going through just so much stuff at an early age and acquiring so much that you could probably draw on, you know? And then your, 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 your career, you have this enviable career. I mean, with Malcolm in the, in the middle alone, uh, I remembered always marveling at your comedic abilities on that show. You were just absolutely fantastic and thinking uh, a lot of people would be satisfied with that, but your career really took a while. It took a while. Well, I'll I, I tell you what took a while was notoriety and celebrity. I was working steady as an actor since I was 25 years old. Mm -hmm. That's 40 years for me. So I've been working for 40 years, but since 25 years old, I have been only working as an actor for a living. Um, when I was 40, I got Malcolm in the Middle. When I was 50, I got Breaking Bad. 60, I'm doing Broadway, and uh, it's like uh, a, a renaissance. I was just talking about this the other day with Humphrey Bogart, and he was giving me some <laughs> advice. And this, will, this will haunt me forever. I swear to God he's in Citizen King. He, I, he comes in at one moment and offers uh, Orson Welles some soup. Yes, it's a, and it's I, finally asked, I finally had the nerve to ask Humphrey, what was the meaning of Rosebud? <laughs> and he said these I, magical words to me. He said, "Get the fuck away from me." <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like him. That's like, yeah. Uh, you know, I had the pleasure of seeing you on Broadway in All the Way, where you played Lyndon Johnson, and I was just del delighted by that performance. Uh, and as and and I just thought to myself, "You're having the right." kind of career, maybe the perfect kind of career where things just seem to keep getting better and better and better. And yes, it, it was on a low simmer, but this is the way probably for it to lay out. Don't you think Boy, if you could, if you could pick a way for it to lay out? I, I appreciate you categorizing my career as a low simmer. That's <laughs> really beautiful. A low simmer say. that led to a boil. I'm talking about a low simmer and then it led to a boil. Look, if it's always boiling, and the beans come out of the pot. Right, you, once you get the boil, you lance the boil. They're very careful. Uh, You've had a pus-filled career that has now erupted. Yeah. And the, that's how I'm, I don't see why you'd be insulted Why could you be insulted? Uh, no, you know, I, there is a Chinese saying that I once heard that, that uh, translated, what it's supposed to mean is, may you find uh, success early in life. And it's meant as a curse uh, oh, yeah. to say that you won't be able to handle it. That wisdom comes along with time and maturity and and growth. And as like Malcolm Gladwell would say, put in your 10,000 hours of work towards something before you call yourself an expert at it. Or if, right. before you can actually say, I, sh I deserve to earn a living at this. Um, and so that's what it was. It's like, I just kept my nose clean, keep my head down, do the work. And I was grateful. And it is my, my most cherished professional accomplishment to say that at the age of 25 and onward, I've only had to work as an actor to support myself and my family. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. I've worked, as we know, briefly as a male stripper. But yeah. other than that, I have applied the comedic arts. That's, I'm just telling people that's what I'm doing. It is comedy. Uh, but you, it's you, comedy. You gave yourself an artistic bent there, the comedic arts. As opposed to just doing stand-up. <laughs> just being an idiot. <laughs> well, let me ask you, how, how old were you when you finally made money? No, no more open mic nights, no more. What, what was the time? And I made, oh, I started out as a, I first made money writing, uh, not performing. I made money uh, writing comedy. And I was so excited. I was, when I was 19 years old, I wrote a piece for a uh, national parody that the Harvard Lampoon was doing. I got a check for $200. Wow. 
Wow. And I needed the $200, but I refused to cash it. And I still have it because I thought to myself, I just made money writing something silly. And that's when the nickel dropped that this is something I would do anyway. And they pay for this shit. 22, I was 22 when I first started earning money uh, in Los Angeles, coming up with ideas. Yeah, but Conan, you can actually start cashing those checks that you've been accepting (laughs) all these years. Did you realize that? I didn't. I still have all the checks. Oh. Uh, I've never ca- I've never cashed them. Uh, but my father, his last name is Texaco. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Doctor Thomas Texaco, and uh, so I don't need it. <laughs> That's something uh, Jay Leno would always say in the commercial breaks at the Tonight Show uh, when I was on as a guest. He would always lean over, and I've heard of other people say this too. He was very proud of the fact that he made so much money doing stand-up that he never cashed his Tonight Show money. Yeah. So he'd lean over in the commercial break and go, you know, I've uh, never cashed the Tonight Show money. I, I just, uh, I have not, not a cashed a single check from the Tonight Show. And I think, stop telling people that. <laughs> it's not cool. I don't even need this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got so much, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what it, to do but, with it. Uh, yeah. I remember when I was doing All the Way before Broadway, we did it at the ART in Cambridge. And I think uh, I was I was invited to be honored by the Lampoon and at that mm-hmm. triangular building. Yep, right? on Bow Street. Yeah, yeah the, cas- the castle. The castle. Yeah. And they brought me in and everyone's masked and everyone's doing all this pomp and circumstance and it's the weirdest night ever. But I also think that I was honored because I was geographically desirable at the time. I was yes. in Cambridge <laughs> working and they said, well, let's get him. He's close. Well, um, first of all, a couple of things. The masks are to hide the acne. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I wore mine for many years afterwards. Uh, no, there was no masks. I don't know what you're talking about with masks, but uh, the Lampoon will do any, they love having a big deal celebrity come by. And uh, I've told this story many times, but we used to make up trophies, literally invent, go to a trophy store and make up an award that didn't even exist to get <laughs> celebrities to come by and be honored by us. And that's uh, that's how I met uh, a couple of really big deal celebrities <laughs> and handed them what was a bowling trophy. But we saw we saw it off the arm that was bowling and like taped, you know, uh, the, the, the comedy mask onto it crudely and said, you just won this prestigious award. And it was complete bullshit. <laughs> So no, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there, California. <laughs> California, Sona. No matter where California. you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, If you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park, or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus... They also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. 
Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. (laughs) When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT. Now ADT professionally installs Google Nest products so your home is safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security systems from virtually anywhere. Google Nest cams can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. You can know that there's a package out there. I know. And not a person. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, sometimes a person rings the doorbell and I think it's a package. Anyway, (laughs) and with Nest Aware as part of your monthly ADT service, you can get 30 days of event video history, even smarter notifications like when a familiar or unfamiliar face is seen. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just a tap. Mm. I'm always setting off alarms accidentally. This is helpful for me. Oh, good. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, well, you got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are trademarks of Google LLC. I have had the pleasure a little bit of getting to know Vince Gilligan. I got, I've had to, gotten to have a meal with him, uh, you know, a time or two. And he recently, uh, my wife and I went to the theater and, and, and he was sitting right in front of us being a real dick, heckling the play. <laughs> mm. Uh, when was this? When did you go to a play? I went to a play. This is pre-COVID, yeah. obviously. Just pre-COVID. Okay. Um, yeah. It, the play was called, ironically, uh, The Plague Can Never Come Here. And uh, <laughs> starring Humphrey Book. <laughs> so anyway. No, but um, such a lovely guy. And I'm thinking, uh, it's so funny because you you met Vince Gilligan in this other period of your life. Were you doing... Uh, 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 was it an X Files that you were doing? Yeah, um, nineteen ninety-eight. I was doing the rounds. Uh, I guest starring on anything that will have me, and and there was a, a role on the X Files that he wrote. Uh, I didn't know who he was, but I got that role, and it was a character that was really kind of despicable and um, is anti-Semitic and he was bigoted on every level and just an, an ornery asshole kind of guy. And he needed, it was an, it was an invitation to, to learn the, the nuance and the brilliance of Vince Gilligan's writing. So the, the, the concept was that um, Mulder, David Duchovny's character, had to drive in a westerly direction at 80 miles an hour or my character, my head would explode. I'm in the back seat and <laughs> it's messy. Uh, so they're always rewriting the same old same scene. Same old thing. So, <laughs> the old 80 miles west or my head will blow up. Well, we'll make it 80 miles east. How about that? So we're, he's driving, he's driving in the car and he's got to keep it up or, or my headaches are just going to explode. Now, most writers would have written my character to be sympathetic, to be nice, to be a good guy. And so that the hero, the star of your show, yeah, David, save that guy. He's a nice guy. But you're not invested in that. Mm-hmm. That's an mm-hmm. obvious. So what Gilligan did was make my character awful, despicable human being, which puts the moral dilemma in the center of your lead character. Is this man worth saving simply because he's a human being? What he would love to do is just pull over and watch me explode, <laughs> but he can't do it. That's the brilliance of it. So as he starts developing that, I go away for 
seven years, I do Malcolm in the Middle. I I didn't didn't really become a friend. I didn't know him. And then after Malcolm finishes, I get this call that Vince Gilligan wants to see me. Do you remember him? He remembers you. And I said, no, I don't know who that is. And so he's a, he was a writer on X-Files and he's doing a show called Breaking Bad. And I go, what does that mean? He goes, well, nobody really knows. But uh, do you want to meet him? And I said, yeah, if he remembers me, I'll, okay, I'll meet him. And I'll meet- So far, you're coming off as really uncurious and surly in this story. <laughs> oh, uh, what's that, Gilligan? Don't what is it called, Breaking Bad? What does that mean? Uh, shenanigans. <laughs> I don't need it. Uh, it's never getting better than Malcolm in the middle. Tell him to fuck off. <laughs> so I go to talk to him, and, and I but I read his script, and it's just the best one-hour script I have ever read. It just yeah. kept me going, and I was so sympathetic toward this character. And that was his genius, that he he told me in the meeting that he wants to change. He he wants to bring about change of the lead character. He wants to take him from a good guy to a bad guy. And I said, yeah. I don't think that's ever been done before. Because look at the characters. Tony Soprano was always Tony Soprano. Vic Mackey was him. Every character is the same. They adjust slightly to impetus that comes into their lives. But mm-hmm. by and large, they're the same character. This was turning, as he said, I want to turn Mr. Chips into Scarface. Yes. And that's what he did. And and so uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that he remembered me from doing uh, X-Files. And he said, that's the character that I need. Someone who does start to do despicable things, and yet the, the audience will still sympathize with you. One of my favorite American movies of the last 25 years or 30 years, is The Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood's film. And one of the reasons I love it so much is that it's very European. You know, a lot of American movies are, uh, you root for the good guy and then he wins in the end after he's gone through a bunch of scrapes. This had this very sophisticated, everybody in that film is trying to do the right thing. Everybody, if you look at it, everyone in that movie, every character thinks they're doing the right thing and all that results is carnage. And I've thought about that a lot. And I, I realized one of the things I love so much about Breaking Bad is I understood everyone's motivation and you were taken there naturally. So you can't go from Mr. Chips to Scarface in one episode or 10 episodes or 30 episodes. It took years yeah. of people. And I think that's why I think more than any TV show I can think of where everyone was so invested in it. I mean, the world was invested in this man because we understood every step of the way why he did what he did. And you think of of storytelling, a story should be as long as it takes to tell it completely. So we think about, can you imagine Breaking Bad as a, as a feature film? It would have been terrible. Right. In two hours to tell that story, the transition of a man from good to bad in two hours, it's like, it's too truncated. It's too sandwiched together. You wouldn't be able to experience the slow pain of that transition. And so it is as long as it's, and not to be smirch Saturday Night Live, but sometimes they'll do a brilliant sketch and they'll say, let's make this a movie. And it's like, no, no, it's great in sketch form. It was designed to be three minutes long or five minutes long. Don't try to make it two hours. I think about there are many times where people have asked me to do comedy at a situation and I start asking them about the room and what's the occasion. And they'll say, it doesn't matter. You just come out and you'd be really funny. (laughs) And then uh, we bury the guy. You know, I'm like, what? You know, wait, it's a funeral? And they're like, yeah. And I'll say, no, you don't want me at that. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And they're like, no, it'd be really funny if you came out and, 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 or it's a complete, it's just the wrong context. Or what am I following? (laughs) Well, you're following a 20 minute video on horrible things that happen to dogs. And then you come out. (laughs) And they, they believe that comedy is a thing. The way a refrigerator is a thing that you put something in and it gets colder. It's just a, and you're like, no, no, it has to, it's all about context. Yeah. It's about so, and I did, yeah. did you really please tell me you did do a stand up at a funeral? Please tell me. No, well, I did, <laughs> but the one of the bigger challenges I've had in my life is I did a, uh, it was a very good event. It was in Town Hall in uh, New York City, and it was a very, very good, worthy event. But the people 
just the way it timed out, it was to raise money and an excellent cause for uh, people that had been uh, really grievously injured uh, in the war. And so they, there was a long film up top Ugh. about the injuries. Then they had people come out oh. and play taps. Oh. So they played taps. And after they finished playing taps, a voice of God just said, <laughs> Conan O'Brien. <laughs> so I walked out to taps. Yeah. Taps was my, and look, either, you know, I'm not, uh, listen, it's about the cause and it's all of that, that, but, and I actually, I had to talk about, do you understand the situation I'm in right now? And that ended up being, uh, the thing that I think helped, yes. uh, turn it around. And obviously, um, uh, my my struggles in that moment <laughs> paled in comparison to the sacrifice that all these people had made. But I was just thinking, you know, it's that was that's a moment where I uh, you talk about moments where you remember. I remember being backstage and they started to play taps, and then hearing my voice and almost <laughs> wanting to be. I'm sh thinking, I'm sure glad I'm not that fucking guy, <laughs> and realizing I'm that fucking guy. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> You know, but I've been watching, as I said, I've been watching Your Honor and this character playing uh, Michael Desiato. And again, uh, you're, you've chosen this role that I think speaks to a lot of the work that you've already done. Uh, and 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 you're so you're well prepared for this, but it's something where I understand everybody's motivation. I and 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 I'm wary of giving away too much about the show, but. As a dad, as someone who's got a teenage son and daughter, your son does something and your character, a judge, is trying to save your son, but you're, you're doing all these things that are com completely anathema to who you are as a judge. But I understand every single thing you're doing and I understand why you're doing it, but it's a, it's, that's, I think, what really makes the show so riveting it's, is that. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. The premise itself got me. And and I would present that to your listeners. Uh, I would ask all seven of them if. <laughs> if you were. We're told there's an eighth. OK. We're told right. there's an eighth. Right. We don't have proof, but yeah. we're told there's an eighth. If you were presented with the 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 real belief that your son or daughter was uh, being threatened with their life, would you become a criminal to save their life? And I haven't talked to anybody who said no. Yes, right. They would become. I would do that. And so I said, in this premise, my character is a is a superior court judge, and um, he tries to convince his son, who was. I, we can talk about the premise. The premise is that my son is involved in a hit and run accident. He panics and leaves the scene of the accident, and the boy he hit on a motorcycle dies and he's distraught with that of course and he realizes he made a huge mistake when he confesses what he did to me i convince him to do the right thing we're going mm -hmm. to the police station we're going to turn you in and we're going to be responsible and accountable for our actions however at the police station i discover the parents of the dead boy is a mob boss a yeah. deadly, dangerous mob boss. And I know with every ounce of my being that that guy is going to kill my son no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that turns it around. And my character then t uses all of his law background as a lawyer and as a judge to be able to say, okay, how do I reverse engineer what actually happened and create an alibi, destroy evidence, manipulate a jury, and to to get this into the so that my son stays alive, and of course, yeah. Whenever you try to become someone you're not, it's a slippery slope to destruction. That's what happens. It's uh, it's quite good. The actor who plays your son is amazing. Yeah, uh, Hunter Duhan. Uh, you know, just when you're describing it. If you don't like the son or sympathize, because when you lay the story out and say that the son is involved in this hit and run and kills this mob boss's child and runs and and then runs away, it's so well done because you see because your son is having an asthma attack while it's happening, you see all the reasons why he tried to do the right thing, but then panicked and ends up doing the wrong thing. But it's laid out correctly. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 uh, I'm, I'm saying, do you know what I mean? You're the star of the show. <laughs> do you understand, Brian? <laughs> I hear it's a good show. I haven't seen it. Um, 
No, but that's that's the genius going back to the most yeah. underrated element of all performance art is the writing. Every mm-hmm. performer knows that you are only going to be as good as the writing is. And I say this often, if you handed Meryl Streep C-level material, at her best, she can get it to a B because she's that yeah. good, but it won't ever yep. be an A because the right. material is just not there. Uh, so when you're handed A-level material, you're a little apprehensive and nervous, uh, but you then read the script and see the guidepost of how it's going to take you on this journey and, you know, just memorize your words and don't bump into the furniture and and you might be okay. So you had this career that I described as starting on a low simmer and then building to an outrageous boil. Yeah. I mean, there's there's beans yeah. flying all over the place and sticking to the, the ceiling and there's a kitchen fire because your your career is on such a boil. My question is, you you, you had so many years as a working actor and then, uh, you know, respected actor doing well. And then you hit this note. And now because of Breaking Bad, I can't imagine a place you could go in the world where you would not get recognized. Are you okay with that level of fame? I, I, well, I, I don't know that I've thought about that. I don't know if it really matters if I'm okay with it. Fame is an interesting and odd thing. It's not something that either one of us was able to to prepare for. We didn't know what that was going to be like. You're just mm-hmm. doing your thing. It's a byproduct of your success as, as a, a professional in your field. And it's very rare, too, because we both know scores of people who are talented who don't reach that level of celebrity. And so we, we you've got to count yourself very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that comes a lack of privacy. Interestingly enough, you, you have tremendous benefits on one side, and there are a few things that you have to learn to live without from that point on. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it's it's worth it, as I think you'll attest, that you, you have opportunities and, and meeting people and, you know, reading really great material and working with right. terrific directors on my end of it. And I know you to be a very nice, sensitive person. There must be times where you think, I'm very grateful for all this success, but now isn't the best time, you know? <laughs> it is. Well, as you know, uh, I had to, you have to set up some boundaries. So for example, when I go to a restaurant with my family, once I'm in the restaurant and seated, I don't take pictures. I don't sign autographs. I don't do that. People will approach the table and I'll, I'll say politely, no, uh, I, I can't do that right now. I appreciate it. I'll shake your hand. Thank you. Uh, if you want to wait and meet me outside when I'm done, yep. I'd be happy yep. to do that. But otherwise, if I stood up for one person, then it gives permission for other people to approach. And what happens? The, the dinner out with my family stops being that and now I'm sharing my time with strangers and it right. creates an odd dynamic then within my family. I've had moments where I'm with my family, no one's approached for a selfie, we're not getting along, and I say out loud, I'm sure someone wants a selfie here, just to get the fuck out of that situation. Yeah. And when just no to one, create di- and, just to create distance yeah. and people are like, uh, no, we're good. I'm and good. I'm like, I'll no. Pass. <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> They're like, I really liked you in the 90s. And I'm like, I'm here now, man. I'll pay for your meal. <laughs> I'll pay for everyone's meal. Let's just get a line going. Ah, we're good. It's, 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 it's an Arby's. It's not that expensive. <laughs> um, Brian, I, uh, it is a delight to talk to you. I, I would feel, I'd feel wrong and evil keeping you any longer because you've been uh, generous with your time, but just delightful to talk to you. Always delightful running into you. I love wearing the tie clip. Thank you. And uh, being incredibly obnoxious about it. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. That's great. <laughs> to people. Yeah. No, seriously. Uh, my wife is tired of me saying, check out my tie clip. She's like, I know. We all know that you know Brian Cranston. And he gave you a tie clip. Shut up. It's four in the morning. Don't wake me up again. Uh, but um, and and uh, seriously, I'm thrilled uh, with your with your new show, Your Honor. And I can tell my last observation is that you clearly, after Breaking Bad, said I just spent 
years telling a story that took place in an arid desert. I want to be in New Orleans. Put me in humidity. Put me in humidity. <laughs> Let me eat and drink and soak up all the culture. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what did it. It's all about the humidity. Uh, well, Brian, thank you very much. Thanks, Code. I appreciate it. It was, it was a blast. Thank you, man. It's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Okay. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, yeah. find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Brian Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT, introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cam and the Nest Doorbell with a battery or wired option. Your choice. Easily install the ADT Self Setup security system at your convenience. You don't need heavy-duty tools. And if you do need help, ADT can provide virtual assistance along the way. Self Setup from ADT grows, moves, and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time, and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. It also features Nest Cams that can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. These things are getting so smart. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just one quick tap. Now everyone can get trusted security from ADT installed your way with no long-term contracts. When the most trusted name in home security as the intelligence of Google, well, <laughs> you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are all trademarks of Google LLC. You guys want to do some voicemails? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I not knowing what's in them, but I trust in the kindness of humans. <laughs> what? I trust that people know that I'm sensitive and that the voicemails won't be mean. I think you're overestimating your fans. I think because you're sensitive, they just want to shit on you. <laughs> okay. This seems to that idea seems to bring you delight, Sona. You seem to be chuckling away at the idea of me getting my feelings hurt. I'm sorry. But uh, bring it on, Matt. I can handle it. Okay, let's take a listen. Hey guys, so I'm just listening to episode ninety nine on my way to work and you guys mentioned Conan sending Sona out to buy some BDSM stuff, which made me think, um, one, what is the weirdest thing that Conan has sent Sona to buy? But also, I feel like the perks of having a personal assistant when you're famous is that they can go do shit like that for you and not draw attention to like yourself and your business. But Sona is famous now, and I wonder if that actually hampers her ability to be an assistant. Um, yeah, so that's about it. You guys cheer me up on my way to the hospital. Keep it going. Oh my oh god. My, wait, is she does she work at the hospital? It wasn't I clear. don't know anything more than that. And let me set this up. The episode she's talking about was Sona buying something for Conan, but Conan, you joked that you sent her out for BDSM stuff. Uh. But then that led her to ask this question about whether Sona can do that. Right. Uh, so let's uh, make let's clear up a few things. First of all, I hope that person's headed to the hospital uh, in a work capacity. But if they're going for some procedure, I hope that that went well. 
So yeah. we wish we wish you well. I also love, I listened to episode 99. <laughs> I like, know. We have no, oh, good old 99. That was a corker. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea which one episode. You know what I loved? I liked episode 48. That was me at my best. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And also I'd like to clear up that, yes, I was joking when I said uh, that I sent uh, Sona out to buy bondage, you know, sado- sadomasochistic stuff Come on. for me. Because, as we all know, I make that shit myself. I, uh, <laughs> Homemade whips and stuff? Yeah, oh. I, I like to make whips and uh, I make my own chains. Uh, I, I have uh, I have a latex press in the basement. And uh, so I... Look, I believe it's sort of, and I sell some of it on Etsy and people love it. So look for my homemade bondage stuff. I've What's learned. the name of your Etsy shop? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I know this is bad improv, but fuck you. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> Jesus, wow. Oh, my God. Tell us, what's the name of that in improv shop? I don't know. Not only do I not know, but I'm going to slam you, Gorley. Yeah. Fuck you. Well, well no, you I just- Improv, you get angry at us, and now you do this. That's that's the kind of improv I like to do, is get up on stage, and someone- I walk out on stage, and my partner in the scene says, Ah, oh, I love your candy shop. What kind of candy do you have? And I go, I don't know. Fuck it. And then just walk <laughs> off. And then the curtain comes down. By the way, episode 99 was Sam Richardson. Oh, great. Wonderful. I love Sam Richardson. Uh, Okay. Now we answer the question. I still do everything you ask me to do when I remember to do it. Yes, I mean, thank I think, you. Thank I you think for that. that I, I mean, I, it's very sweet. She thinks I'm famous, but I'm absolutely not. So No, but I've heard you on the phone. If you are on the phone taking care of something for me, I've heard you say, yes, yes, this is Sona. Yes, that's Sona. Yes, yes. Yes. I'm a bad assistant. Yes. He needs his butt plugs. <laughs> I don't like these bits. Again, fuck you, fuck you. Once again, I don't need butt plugs from anyone. I manufacture my own. Oh no. They're made out of endangered ivory to really enrage people. Oh, <laughs> endangered ivory. Yes. Ivory from around the world that's illegal and endangered. I I have animals slaughtered for my homemade butt plugs. <laughs> So I can sell them at my uh, bondage store on Etsy that's called Fuck You Gorley. <laughs> yeah, I like to make things myself. I'm very handy when it comes to uh, the sensual arts, making uh, crafts. Artisanal butt plugs? You're very Artisanal handy. butt plugs, yes. You know how I know you're not good at like building a lot of things because you build that sop with camel and you wouldn't stop talking about it for like four months. I know. Yeah. That's and did you a... ever finish that? I did. I did oh. finish it. It's very, uh, it's very good looking. It's sitting on my <laughs> desk right now. In fact, I'm looking at it and it's gorgeous. I put a lot of time into it. It is. It's a 1917. Sona, you've seen it. Uh, it is. It's awesome. And kudos to you, Sona, for remembering the name. That's pretty good. I know. Well, he said it so many times. That's and true. that's like, if someone builds things all the time, they don't talk about it constantly. Constantly. Okay, so this is a true story. Uh, I, years and years and years ago, uh, got this small house in Connecticut that it was like the first thing I ever bought. And I would go up there. I'll never forget, there was this handyman around and he said, do you need anything? And I said, yes, I need uh, a workbench. And uh, the guy said, okay, I'll get you, I'll, I'll find you a workbench. And I said, yes, and I'll need a vice to hold on to things while I'm fixing them. And he went, right, I'll, I'll put a, I'll buy a vice and I'll put it in the, you know, work shed, and, you know, attach it to the workbench. And I went, good, good. And uh, I'll need a hammer and a saw. And he went, great. And so whatever, flash forward, he gets all that stuff. And I look at it and remember the day it's the, the vice is, um, this metal vice and it's sort of a bright industrial blue and you turn the crank and it goes out and then it goes in again, you know, and you're like, yes, I've got my vice. I'm ready for my work. Flash forward 15 years. <laughs> and my son, who at the time is like 10, says, hey, what's the deal with this bench and this vice? And I went, I need that for my 
when I do my work around the house, when I do my repairs and I fix things. And he said, this, and he pointed to it, has never been used. And he peeled off some plastic that was on the handle that you would feel if you even once turned the handle which I never did. <laughs> and so I have this, I mean, you could eat sushi off this thing uh, and there wouldn't be one microbe on it. It was, it's, the, it's to this day, the most pristine, you can't find a vice in a hardware store that's brand new and sealed in Lucite that's cleaner and, <laughs> and less used than the vice that's sitting in my little, little house in Connecticut. It's just gleaming like a jewel. So I'm an ass. I think that's what we've learned. Yeah. I've never fixed anything. I don't really use a vice and it's sad. Conan O'Brien needs a friend with Sonam Obsession and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com.